Welcome to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church, via teaching and interviews. Our goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. My prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am speaking Amen. the truth in Christ. Amen. I am not lying. Amen. Welcome back to another, another edition of The Sword and the Spirit. I want you to listen to the entire scripture being read through, and that's where we're going to try to do part two today as promised and close this out. So, without any further ado, we'll pause and then we'll be right back. Today we're going to go back to Romans 8. This is part 2 of life in living life in the spirit. This whole chapter is about living life under the influence of the Holy Spirit and it reveals how what the Holy Spirit does for us. And as I said earlier in the earlier uh, in last week, just a quick recap. The reason why I'm doing this is because I'm I'm what do you call a reformed Pentecostal. Um, I adhere to a lot of Reformation theology, um, but not all of it. It's hard to put me in a category here, so you can see I'm kind of all over the map. But I also believe in perpetuity of gifts. I don't think that the gifts cease as well. But that's for another discussion. I'll give you my reasons why. Uh, having said that, um, when we talk about being Pentecostal, and I think a number of years ago, uh, well, I'll bring that up later, the warning that Frank Bartleman gave, Dick Wilkerson covered it in his uh, sermon, Christless Pentecost. You can go online and look it up. 
I listened to that. It's a magnificent sermon called Christless Pentecost. A Pentecost without Christ. Anyway, having said that, the Holy Spirit has come. And sometimes the emphasis gets put on the wrong things. It gets put on being slain in the Spirit, falling down backwards. It emphasis gets put on, um, I guess, people looking for manifestations. How do we know that the Holy Spirit is at work in us at all? You know, And so we might run around the church and shout. Or we may uh, speak in other tongues etc. But having looked at all of that, my experience is that I've seen people do this like forever. And I think that we're missing out on the most, most important aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit. So we don't want to swallow the net and strain the camel. That's what we've done. We've, we emphasize the smaller, finer points which is like the manifestations because people want to see a, a manifestation and they think by manifestation is something that we can tangibly see in the service. But the manifestations come that's revealed to us here in, uh, when there's a real genuine work of the Holy Spirit, when you're really walking in quote-unquote Pentecost, is Romans 8. This is the manifestations you should be looking for. Um... A person that's living a victorious life. In other words, a person that's, that's living a life of holiness and purity before God. Not under human energy. See, that's a miracle in and of itself. To do anything right at all as a Christian, particularly in this world. Because everything in this world is designed because of the fall. Because of the fall and our own weaknesses. And by satanic imposition of, 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 of his will uh, in the world system through corrupt human beings, uh, everything is designed in this world to make you sin. It's not designed for righteousness and godliness. And so to be able to live any type of godly life at all, any semblance or facsimile thereof in this world is remarkable. And those are the manifestations that we know that we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, dwelling within us. And he, he starts off with the first, uh, actually eight verses dealing with the Holy Spirit, the power of God overcoming the lower nature. And yes, it's, it's possible to be saved and still under the influence of the lower nature. Um, but if we're really, but the real demonstration is when we start to grow and mature, hopefully we grow and mature, we don't stay there. But from the way this verse is written here, I'm going to read here in a minute, it indicates that it might be some people that kind of get stuck. Not exactly sure how that happens, but all right. Um, I'll, we'll we'll, we'll re, uh, readdress this a little later on. Uh, for the mind that is set on the flesh, that's the lower nature, and we talked about what that lower nature was. Um, the effects of sin on the entire being is not just your physical body. Please put that out of your mind. The flesh here is referring to the effect of the sin on the mind, your emotions, your will, on your spirit, and the effects of, uh, on the human body as well. But that's only a part of it. Okay, so don't just get, don't think that the, 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 the all, everything physical is evil and everything spiritual is good, because that's not what this is, this passage is saying. For the mind, or the person who fixates their thoughts is set on the lower nature, 
is hostile to God. So the effects of sin on the lower nature makes us hostile to God. Because it won't submit to God. We want to go out and do whatever it is we want to do. Or to God's laws. Indeed it cannot. See, we can't obey God and keep his commandments as long as we're walking not in the spirit and allowing the lower nature to dominate. It, 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 it cannot. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh or allowing that lower nature to work on us cannot please God. So there you go. You can't stay there. So that's, what he's pretty, that's pretty much what he's telling you. It's time to grow up, time to mature, time to grow in God. You cannot stay living under the influence of that lower nature. Easier said than done, yes, I know. But it's here nonetheless. And the Holy Spirit has been made available to us to help us live a spiritual and godly life. Remember now, the Holy Spirit is God. God himself is coming to help us. God can't fail. So if there's a problem, it's not on his end. It's on our end in that sense. But, but thank God because he's sovereign. I'm going to show you some things here. Because he who has begun a good work will complete it. Uh, if, you're, if you're born of God's spirit, the, the Bible says it, that those who are born of God's spirit have the spirit of God. Okay, so um, there is no believer, no person who has been saved who doesn't have the Holy Ghost. The baptism will be considered the baptism of the Holy Ghost as a whole, as, 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 that's God, for lack of a better term, anointing us for service. But that has nothing to do with your salvation. You already have the Holy Ghost. They already had the Holy Ghost when the Holy Ghost fell in the day of Pentecost. He said, tarry in Jerusalem. Just wait a little bit. He ascends back to the Father. Whatever process had to be taken care of up there, Jesus does not tell us. But once that was dealt with, after that, those, those days of, of, uh, of Pentecost were done, and the day of Pentecost came, I believe it was 40 days later after resurrection and everything had taken place, then they were in one place and in one accord. And then God says, all right, Pentecost. He sends the Holy Ghost into the earth and fulfilled Joel chapter 2. In the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That means Jew and Gentile flesh. Everybody. Which you saw throughout the book of Acts. Play out in the book of Acts. Um, but you shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Power for what? To be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and, and the uttermost parts of the world. So... That's power for service, for propagating the gospel. That's separate and distinct from being saved and having the, Holy, having the Holy Spirit. So you can't get saved. All believers already have the Holy Ghost. What Pentecostals generally call the baptism of the Holy Ghost is an, is a, an endowment of power to go out and bring the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. In some cases, if and when called for, signs and wonders working. But I don't believe a lot of these people are running around with these signs and wonders today. But that's another podcast. We'll talk about divine healing, etc. And I do believe in perpetuity of the gifts, but I don't believe in the dog and pony show that you got going on out here. I don't think that, that definitely is not it. So, verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh. He said, you, however, are not in the flesh, right? In other words, you're saved. You're in the spirit. If you're saved... You're not in, you're still in the flesh. Yes, you have that lower nature, but now you also have the spirit. 
And the spirit is stronger than the lower nature. And when I talk about spirit, I mean the Holy Spirit is stronger than your lower nature. So God begins to work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. For we are his workmanship created. See, he's doing a creative act on the inside. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So the manifestation of the Holy Spirit working on the inside of us is we will do good works. We will become more Christ-like. That's the evidence. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, and thinking in, in, in Colossians talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. But if Christ is in you and Christ is in us, if you are born again, then Christ is in you. Now, although the body is dead because of sin, the lower nature still, the, the body's the last thing to be redeemed. Now he's talking about the body. Notice he didn't use the word flesh. He's talking about the body. Even though the body is dead because of sin. That means this body that we have is going to age and it's going to die. There you go. And that's because of sin. The spirit is life because of righteousness. So then God's Holy Spirit infuses life into our incorporeal our spirit and our soul. He infuses that life to us and imparts his righteousness to us inwardly. So God enlightens the mind. Remember, the mind is darkened, right? So how does God fix it? He enlightens the mind. He, the will is in bondage, so he frees the will from bondage. The emotions are damaged. He heals the damaged emotions and he regulates them. The conscience is damaged. He fixes the, the conscience and, and he begins repairs on that. And then the conscience equally, properly proportioned guilt when it's necessary. Um, that's in the soul. And then the spirit now, that was once, your human spirit that was once alienated from the life of God, God now has, has connected back to the Holy Spirit. Now you have a connection to God that you didn't have. And then God imparts his divine nature into your spirit and into your soul. Now what does that mean? Because, let me make it clear here, we do not become God, God does not become us. That's not what it means by God imparting his divine nature. God has attributes that are commutable and other attributes that are not commutable. This is why we don't become God, God doesn't become us. God is omnipresent, he's everywhere at the same time. He's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he can do anything. And, and then God is, is um, all-knowing, omniscient, he knows everything. And God is immutable. He doesn't change. He doesn't alter. He's not angry today and then tomorrow has a cup of coffee and he's nice. People think that's the difference between the New and the Old Testament. And God was like really bent out of shape in the Old Testament. Then he had a cup of coffee and he's like, all right, I'm good in the New Testament. That's not true. You find uh, uh, there's as much wrath in the New as there is in the Old and vice versa. And there's as much grace in the Old. There's a whole so much grace in the Old Testament uh, as in the New Okay, but if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. So again, so these God doesn't change. He doesn't wake up one night, you know, one minute I'm angry, next minute, you know, I'm I'm good, that type of thing. Uh, and at the same time, so these are those are attributes of God that God that's not commutable to us. We can't. That's not transferred to us. But if you look at the fruit of the spirit in Galatians, the fifth chapter, the twentieth verse. The fruit of the spirit is love, peace, patience, joy. Kindness, goodness. So those character, those characteristics, God can transfer to your human spirit and begin to permeate your entire being, including 
right down to the physical level. We'll get to the body, get back to the body here in a minute. But right now we're dealing with the soul and the spirit. So God infuses those characteristics, which we call the fruit of the spirit, into those are communicable attributes that, we, that make us just like him. As we bore the, the, the image of the earthly, so shall we also bear the image of the heavenly. My uh, brother was standing on a bus stop one time, and one of my father's cousins, who had never seen my brother before, we had just returned back to the islands from Germany. And my brother's standing on the bus stop, and my cousin is driving, my father's cousin, which in this case would be my second cousin, my father's first cousin, driving by, and he stops, and he says, Walter, my brother, like, hesitates, and he says, Walter Reimer, and my brother says, yeah. And so, without having seen my, my brother ever in his entire life, he knew that that was my father's son. Why? Because my brother bore the image of the earthly. We all have some resemblance to a family member, or in some cases, in this case, he had a resemblance to my father. So much so that those who knew my father and yet had never seen my brother knew that's, that's Walter's son. By the way, ironically, his name is Junior, so he's a junior. He's, he's, a, he's Walter's second. So as he bore the image of the earthly, so shall we also bear the image of the heavenly. So we are going to begin to reflect to, to take on the image of our Heavenly Father and take on His characteristics so that when people are passing us by, they can say this, they can recognize there's something different about these people. These people have, remember when they were, I think they were in Antioch and they were first called Christians in Antioch in the book of Acts? And you remember how they said, because they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And that's what I'm saying. People should take note that you've been with Christ. It's just... There's a Christ-likeness about us. And that's what the Holy Spirit works. That's the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. That's more important than falling down on the floor. That's more important than speaking in tongues. That's far more important than shouting. Put the emphasis there. I want to have the communicable attributes of God in my life. I want to have the Holy Spirit work such so deeply in me that I reflect what God is like, so that I bear the image of the heavenly, that when people see me, I reflect. I don't become God, I become a mirror. The mirror doesn't become you, you don't become the mirror. But as a mirror, we because we, we are the mirror image of God, we will begin to do what we were created to do in the first place, is reflect God to creation and to the world, and reflect God to each other, and to the sinner around us. That's what Christ meant, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. The more we have, the Holy Spirit works that into us, and we live that spirit-filled life, the more people will be drawn uh, to us. I've heard of Christians, they can be on their job, and one guy said, you know, people are coming in there for all kind of counseling. So I just, just walk in the room and just start pouring out their problems to them. And he's wondering, to, so he said he, he walked out the room and he looked at the top of the door and he says, I don't see counselor on my door here. But okay, for some reason, people felt that they felt safe, without even really knowing him, felt safe telling him their deepest, darkest, whatever issues they had. And of course, God used him to minister. But that's what I mean by living life in the Spirit. You're so full of the Holy Ghost. And if we, I think if we put more emphasis on this, instead of falling down and shouting and speaking in tongues, 
I think we'll be far more effective in building God's kingdom and getting in line with God's program. I mean, you're speaking in tongues. The guy walks in the door. He, he's not saved. He doesn't, know, he doesn't even know what you're saying. What good is that, right? Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, let's deal with the body here. Verse 11. So the body's dead, right? So I just dealt with the spirit, with the mind and emotions, the will, the soul, which we call the soul and the conscience. That's the soul. Then I dealt with, which is our self-conscious. Then it's spirit, which is our God-conscious part of us. And then you're, now we're going to look at the body, which is dealing with the physical world around us. There's redemption for that too. Now let's check this out. Now the redemption of the body comes last, by the way. If you haven't figured it out yet, that's the last thing. Now if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life or quicken your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then God then will even infuse life into your physical body. What does that mean? That means God will release power to control your appetites for eating, so you're not a glutton, for sex, so we're not living a sexually impure and immoral life, and God can deliver us from some of the pornography and other things that we've gotten ourselves in bondage to, and he can break those chains uh, and, and transform us into the, per the people he's called us to be. And then also the, the, the idea of, you know, the body needs sleep or rest, but we don't become lazy. We become more industrious and, and more productive and not lazy or slothful, which the Bible says people who are lazy end up poor. That's one of the causes of poverty is laziness. Not saying that everybody who's poor is lazy, because that's not true. But just some. Okay, so God will give life to your mortal bodies. God will help you control that. And eventually... And the, when the time comes for the resurrection of the dead, there's a one-to-one, Hank Hanegraaff used to say, there's a one-to-one -one correspondence between the body that dies and the body that rises. Such that the body is sown into the earth in corruption, but when God raises it, it's incorruptible. Inherent in your DNA is, that, is, is, is the blueprint for the new, for the new man, for the new uh, glorified mind and glorified body. It's, it's there. And God at that point will do... Bring out that, bring that out in the resurrection. Verse twelve. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So, based on what I just laid out, adoption, no condemnation, uh, the Holy Spirit indwelling us to regulate us, body, soul, and spirit, being adopted as sons. Being born to the kingdom, being made heirs to the kingdom, heirs of Christ, which includes that we suffer with him, okay, not just heirs. He said, and then we'll reign, we'll inherit what he inherits, but then we also have to walk his path as well, which includes suffering. You live in this Christian life, in this world, you're going to suffer something. It may not be persecution or death or martyrdom. Put that out of your head. It doesn't have to be that. But sometimes you just uh, go through, uh, just simply because of your faith, because of your stand in Christ, you just go through certain things. Now, please don't go out and manufacture something, a conflict, so you can say, look, I'm suffering for Jesus. That's manufactured. Trust me, you won't have to manufacture anything. Just live, live your life as a Christian and you'll see what happens.
And verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if, you, so if you're put to death by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is how you do it, saints. This is how you do it. You put to death the power of that lower nature. You get that thing under control and put everything in, in, proper, in its proper place and get yourself to work properly the way God designed us to. But it's not by willpower. You cannot will yourself to do this. It's not going to happen. They, those who try to, to use the lower nature to, to control the lower nature fail every single, every single time. That's why diets don't work. That's why I'm going to quit drinking don't work. That's why I'm going to stop getting high don't work. Because it's all under the human power and willpower. And that's not sufficient. Now you might say, well, I know some people that actually change. Yeah, how many of them? And they're few and far in between. And they're still not totally free. They've just learned to cover it up. But that's, again, is another podcast. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him, as I said that earlier in order that we may also be glorified with him. We suffer with him, then we'll be glorified with him. Walk the path that Jesus walked. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and come follow me. And and your, the cross is not your, your wayward child. It's not your your, your mean boss. It's, it's not your sickness or disease that you have. This is not the, none of this stuff is like, oh, this is the cross I have to bear. That's not what that is. The cross meaning that we deny ourselves and we decide to die to self and put to death anything in our life that doesn't align itself with the will of God. That's your cross. And it was God's will for Christ to go to the cross to his death. And in the same way, we have to be submitted to God's will to do whatever he says and whatever he calls us to do. But I want us pause here a minute here in verse 16 the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of god this is subjective and there are some subjective parts in the bible and if it's there it's just there i'm you know I'm, i i like to be objective but there are there is some subject subjectivity in the christian life and anybody tells you different just isn't reading having said that uh, John Wesley's father used to tell, tell him about the inner witness of the Holy Spirit all the time. because, And I think it was a good thing that he did because there was nobody more religious than John Wesley. He got up at 4 o'clock every day to pray. He had been a missionary to Georgia. He knew Latin and uh, Greek and, and um, spoke several languages. Uh, his mother really was a good teacher. She taught her kids a lot of different things. Good things. And I think, you know, by the time he was five, he was probably, the kid was probably an encyclopedia by then for that time period, you know. Uh, he might have been better than Google. But he was very disciplined. That's why they call him Methodist. He had a method for everything that he did. And he's very disciplined, and he was a, he was a prayer warrior. We would have considered him a prayer warrior. We would have considered him a devout man. 
He went to church, he preached sermons, he wrote sermons, he preached. And maybe by some divine miracle, people even got saved. But he himself wasn't saved. And how did he find out he wasn't saved? Well, he said he was on a voyage back from Georgia after being a, a failed missionary in Georgia, by the way. That didn't work out too good. And um, so on his way back to England, they got into the middle of a storm and everybody thought they were going to die. One of those storms like, well, this is it. We're all going to die out here in this storm. But he heard some Moravian missionaries who happened to be saved. Moravians are godly people, saved folk. They're the part of the body of Christ that sold themselves into slavery to bring the gospel to my island of St. Thomas, to the slaves because the slave owner wouldn't allow the gospel to get in there any other way. So these white brethren sold, became slaves themselves so they could live with the slaves and then preach the gospel to them because they recognize, as the Bible says, all souls are mine and black people have souls. Yes, we got them, like everybody else. Having said that, they're singing and praising God. So Wesley... You know, sees these people like, look, the ship's about to go down, man, and you guys are here, you know, having a worship service. Worship service. They said, oh, yes, brother, you know, we're doing this because we know if the ship goes down, we're going to be with Jesus. So either way, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So these people were ready to die. They were singing the praises to God, and, and it was like, well, whatever, you know, sort of like the Titanic, near my God to thee, right? And then they said to Wesley, don't you have the same assurance of salvation? And Wesley said he lied. He said, yes, I also am a Christian. But he knew he was terrified of death. And he didn't want to die. And he wasn't sure where he'd end up anyway. And then he goes back to England and he says how his heart was strangely warmed at Alder's Gate when, he, when God saved him. And that's when he, he, re he remembered what his father told him. The inner witness. He had the inner, it was subjective he had the inner witness of the Holy Spirit that he was born of God. I can't explain this to anybody when it's built because it's subjective. I'm just saying it's there. And it's in the Bible. God's, Spirit, God's Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are born of God. Okay? And then look for some evidence afterwards. If you don't see the evidence, then maybe it wasn't the Holy Spirit after all. But, you will, but if it is the Holy Spirit, you will see some evidence, which we've, we've been talking about in here. But what you don't want to do is ever tell somebody they're saved. Now, I've been an altar worker at Billy Graham Crusades. I've done different things with churches and, and street ministry, street preaching, all of that. And what I learned over the years is you never tell people they're saved. I will pray for people. I will call people to the altar. I'll pray with them. If they want to do a quote-unquote the sinner's prayer, we'll talk about some of that stuff another time. That's fine. You know, we'll do the sinner's prayer with you, whatever. But I never tell them they're saved. Because if you tell people that they're saved, they're going to depend on other people to tell them when they're sanctified, when they're filled with the Holy Ghost. And everybody, they'll be waiting for people to tell them things about themselves for the rest of their life. And that's why people are running behind these prophets, trying to get a prophetic word, because they can't go to... You know, here's the thing that gets me. You have direct access to God yourself. Why are you going to this guy? That makes no sense. But all right. Um, he, you know... If God did want to tell you something, God knows where you live. He knows your phone number, right? He can dial you up. He can call you. Why do I need somebody to come and tell me what God is saying to me personally in terms of some prophetic whatever? 
So anyhow, but that's that's again, like I said, for another podcast. I already did one on on the, the proliferation of profits, but uh, I see it may need some more uh, filling out. So God's Holy Spirit tells you that you're saved. Don't let never tell people that they're saved. Let God tell them. And then they they may go for a couple of days and not realize it, but they'll God's not gonna God's not gonna uh uh-uh. God's not gonna let them go like that. I promise you, they will know that something has happened. And in verse eighteen, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So, a little bit of suffering we go through here in this world is nothing compared. So think about the worst possible thing that has happened to you because of your faith. And multiply that, dial that to a million, and that's still not close enough to what God is going to do for you on the other side. So this little bit of light affliction here, even though it doesn't seem light at the moment, I'm telling you, uh, you know, I'm dealing with some stuff now. It doesn't seem like no light affliction to me right now. But regardless of how it feels, I know it's a light affliction, and it will not compare with what God has on the other end for me. And then he talks about creation being subject to sin because when Adam sinned, being the head of, of, of human race called federalism, his sin was passed on to all of us, but also the impact of, of the leader uh, on, uh, on all of creation. So that tells you that Adam had influence in the entire creation here, at least here on earth. And so now everything on earth is out of whack. I was watching some of the, uh, the uh, people go on, um, on the Discover Channel and you're watching these things with these animals, and watching animals eating. That's all the earth is. Animals eating animals. The bigger ones eat up the smaller ones. Um, you know, if you're herbivore, I feel for you if you're herbivore. All you eat is plants. Man, you are prey. Because, you know, you're going to eat all that stuff and get all the good nutrients of the plants, and the other guys are like, well, the plants aren't as tasty. I think I'll eat you instead. You taste a little bit better. But yeah, flesh eating flesh. That's all we do. That's all we do. And then mankind. Yes, I like my turkey burgers and everything. I'm still eating flesh. But yeah, that's right. Um, but it's flesh eating flesh. Look at human history. It's wars without end. The whole planet has been one long drawn out war without end. To the point where, if you look at history, it's about one group of people beating up on another group of people and taking their stuff. And sometimes, in some cases, enslaving them. That's all it is. It's a back and forth. It's an ebb and flow in history. I beat you up. I take your stuff. I enslave you. You beat me up. You take my stuff. You enslave me. And then back and forth, back and forth. Different groups rise to power. They fall. Nations arise, fall. Nations arise, fall. Right? That's all it is. I just beat you up and I take your stuff. And I love my country of America, but if you look at American history... That's what happened. They showed up and saw the Native Americans, beat them up, and they took their stuff. It wasn't America then. It was the colonial powers. But nonetheless, after it became America, the trail of tears under Andrew Jackson and, and then the, the annexing of the West and sending Kit Carson to start a war in Mexico, and, and we just beat them up and took their stuff, right, under the pretext of manifest destiny. So that, that's human history. And even the greatest empires, and as, as kind and wonderful as we've turned out to be, at least if we tell ourselves, um, yeah, we, we've had a history of beating up people and taking their stuff. 
That's what we do. And then he talks about for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So creation itself is waiting for us, the sons of God, to be revealed. There can be redemption. That's why Jesus says at the end, the lion will lay down with the lamb. So the predator and the prey are laying down together, right? So there's no, the conflict has ended. Nobody's eating anybody anymore. Uh, there won't be any need for that in order to survive. So uh, all the hostilities will cease, even in the animal kingdom. Verse 3, 20, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. So everything around us is corrupting. Whether you, regardless of what climate change, what's causing climate change, whether you believe it's man-made or just natural, you cannot deny the science. The climate's changing for whatever reason. Okay, um, you got runways melting and, and 102 degrees out in, in New Jersey. That's climate change. I think Britain, the average temperature is usually 75. They were over 100 and something. So, yeah, something's going on. But that's because of corruption. Of corruption, decay. So all of nature is, 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 is becoming corrupted, is decaying. because of All because one man decided to do what God told him not to do. And then we, then we follow along in Adam's footsteps and ratify his decision by our own bad choices. So... All of creation is is dealing with corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So they're waiting for our redemption. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So we get the first fruits. We, this is just what you see here, being filled with the Holy Spirit, getting saved. That's the first fruits. It's, it's just the beginning. It's not the end, people. It's just the beginning of our redemption. There's more to come. Hold on to your seats. Fasten your seat belts. There's more to come. This is going to be a beautiful ride. Uh, when it, you know, getting there, and it, and you know, when it's over, we'll begin to see. But right now, this is the first fruits of the spirit. We groan inwardly as we eagerly await the, for the adoption as sons. We're not. We're positionally adopted, but the legal adoption hasn't taken place yet. Until the redemption of our bodies. That's what it says. For adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. When we get that glorified body, uh, then we'll, we'll, the redemption will be complete. So right now it's, it's spirit and soul. And then the full redemption will come when the body is redeemed. In the day of the resurrection. For in this hope we were, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. Now, if you can see it, it ain't hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Why should I hope for it? I'm, I'm looking at it. It's already here. Nothing for me to hope for. And hope in the Bible doesn't mean... Usually when we say hope, it's like, man, I hope it don't rain today. That means I w I'm wishing it doesn't rain. That's not, what it, that's not what that means. Hope in the Bible is an expectation. You're, ex you're expecting, oh, it's going to rain today. You're expecting it to rain. You know it's going to rain, and you're expecting it. You don't know when, but you know what's going to happen. So we don't know when the full redemption comes, 
but we know what's going to happen. I am expecting to, for the full redemption to come, whether Christ comes while I'm still alive or when I have passed away and the resurrection comes. Either way, I'm good. But I am ha I do have an expectation. But if we hope for what we do not see, then we wait for it with patience. Remember Jesus said, in your patience you possess your souls. Be patient, saints. It's coming. Likewise, the Spirit helps our weakness. See, now here's the thing. We're waiting for the redemption. We're hoping it for it. But sometimes we get tired and we falter and we get weak. And it's like, oh my God, you know, I'm going to die. Especially when you realize you'll probably die before Christ returns. Yeah, yeah there's your downer for you. Like every generation is hoping. I hope he shows up so I don't have to be the one to face death. But hey, either way, there will be a resurrection from the dead. It, it's, it's coming. And I know sometimes it seems hopeless, etc. So what does God do to compensate for that? For our struggling and being trying to be patient. How, did, how does God compensate for that? Well, this is what he does. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So in our weakness, the Holy Spirit helps us. He props us up. When we get weak, when we feel like nothing's ever going to happen, the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. Take heart, take heart. I got you. It's going to happen. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. Now, here it is. We do not know what to pray as we ought. Well, let me read that again. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. That's not tongues, people, by the way. It's too deep for words. That means there's no words being spoken here. Just groanings. Too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Implying that we don't intercede according to the will of God. I'm going to do a whole thing on intercession. Because what we consider to be intercession, in a strict definition of what, what I've been reading in the Bible, is not intercession at all. And we're gonna, I'm going to lay that out for you. So stick around. we got some very more interesting podcasts coming up that uh, uh, challenge some of the status quo. But having said that, we don't know what to pray. Now, I, I go to prayer meetings. I pray. I got my prayer requests. I got my list. My aunt, uncle, my cousin, my foot, my back, my eyeball. All of that. I'm not saying don't pray for any of those things. But if I'm reading the Bible right, it says we don't know how to pray as we ought. A lot of our intercession is not correct. And I'll, we'll get to that another time. But take heart. It's okay. It's okay. Even if you throw up the most stupid, insidious, not insidious, wrong word. Even if you throw up the most stupid, ridiculous, that's the word I was looking for, type of prayer up to God. Insidious is evil. Not, no evil prayers here. No such a thing. Even if you throw up the most ridiculous prayer to God. Even if we don't get it right, it's Okay. Because the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. He searches the heart, the human heart. He knows, he knows what we really need to... He knows not, not just what we want to say. He knows what we need to say. And what we need to say, but we're not saying, the Holy Spirit is saying it for us. And then he's aligning it with the will of God, because he himself is God. So how could he not know what the will of God is based on those deep needs? I'm trying to hydrate here. On those deep needs that we... See, the stuff we think we need, we don't need. 
That's what I'm trying to tell you. A lot of these prayers that we're praying and that we think we need or we want to see happen. I used to have scenarios in my mind how I wanted God to fix things. Send the angel and then let the angel speak to them so they'll know that the Bible is true. And, you know, I'm trying to find ways to convince people, that my loved ones, to get saved and all that. And Yeah. God knows what we need to be praying for. And a lot of the stuff that we're praying for is just plain silly. Especially in our modern Western faith, because we do most of our prayers are about blessing. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Me, me, me. I want to be the head and not the tail. I want to I want to dance on money. I want to do I want to do all look. Those are prayers that are not aligning itself with the will of God. You're wasting your time and energy. Now, Paul's teachers have convinced us that's how we should be praying, but they're wrong. That's not how we should be praying. But take heart. It's okay because even with all the nonsense and silliness, thank God for the Holy Ghost. And he, verse 27, he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. He knows what this mind of God is. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. God, if God is, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God. Do you get that? He's praying to us according to the will of God. Wow. And by the way, you got two intercessors. You've got Jesus is also in the book of Hebrews talks about Christ ever lives above to make intercession for us. So you've got two intercessors for us. Christ is interceding for you and the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to do is get here at this point. This is, what I'm, this is where I'm heading to. The reason why Jesus is in heaven praying for us and the Holy Spirit is praying for us according to the will of God because, number one, we don't know what we're doing. And number two, God wants to make absolutely sure that we get into the kingdom. He's trying to, he's not trying. God is making it fail safe. Do you get that? God is making it fail safe. He's sealing it. He said, I sought for intercessor. I sought for a man to stand among them and to, and to make up the hedge and the gap. And I found none. Therefore, therefore, I stretched forth my hand and brought forth salvation. Do you get that? God says, I got off the throne and did it myself. And since God can't fail, I want you to know, saints, no matter what you're going through, I don't care what storm you're in, I don't care what you're struggling with, and what weakness you're battling, what sin you've yielded to, I don't care. The intercession of the Holy Spirit and the intercession of Jesus guarantees, because God cannot pray and fail, that God's going to get you there. He who begun a good work and you will perfect it until that day. Now, that, now, now, now there's something to shout about. Now, you run around the church three times on that one. Yeah, that, that's something you need to run around about. That, that should throw you to no end. To know that God so cares about us. And, and after having saved and transformed us, not only is he working on us, but he, to make absolutely sure we get in. He ever lives above to intercede. Christ interceding. Holy Spirit interceding. Those prayers can't fail. There's no way you're going to tell me that Jesus prayed. Jesus told Peter, he said, listen, the devil wants to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you 
Jesus knew that the devil could not sift him like wheat. Why? Because Christ himself had prayed for him. And Christ cannot fail. No, sir. And if Christ is praying for you and the Holy Spirit is praying for us, they can't fail. They are God. And there is no failure in God. He's going to get you there. That's good news. I just gave you some good news. Now go ahead and shout. Praise him. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay. So to make sure we get in, one, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is praying for us. Number two, Jesus is praying for us so they can't fail. And then for those he foreknew, God the Father, those he foreknew, he predetermined. Predestined means predetermined. Predestination is the Bible, saints. I'm not even going to try to explain that. I've been wrestling with this thing for years, predestination, free will, all that. Ah. Uh, when I run up on it, it says what it says. I'm not going to change nothing. Try to explain it away. It just says what it says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So God knew you before you got here. Check this out. Before you got here and messed up. Before you did all the crazy stuff you were doing. Getting high. Killing. Lusting. Hurting and being hurt. Wiling. Whatever you want to call it. God knew you before you got here. And then in his predetermined, to make sure you get in, to make sure you get in, he predetermined that you be conformed to the image of his son. Do you get that? God has predetermined, God has willed, God has decreed, God has spoken that you will be conformed to the image of his son. That's the only way you're getting in, people. What I'm trying to show you is that how should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That God himself is actively at work before we even got here to predetermine us to make us like his son. Do you get this? Are you, are, are you, are you hearing this? God has predetermined to conform us to the image of his son and there is no failure in God once God once God has determined something when God has said once God has said this is happening I was watching this crazy movie Sicario and I think they were going to go inside and they were going to murder this guy they finally caught it with some one of these drug lords or something and they were going to kill him and his entire family I, I know this is gruesome but the the guy who was the hitman who's and the guy's like you know, the guy sitting at the table is like, is this really happening? And then this, the, the Sicario, or the hitman, says to him, this, he looks at the guy right now, he says, this is happening. You don't need to, you want to, like, you, you in shock now. You know, I'm going to lose my whole family. You, you, you finally caught up with me? I, you know, after all the horrible things I've done, now you caught up with me? And you're going to take me and my family out? He says, yeah, this is happening. Okay. Crazy example. 
But God has predetermined for you to be conformed to the image of his son. Saints, this is happening. If you are born of God's Holy Spirit, I, this is a guarantee from the scriptures that you will be conformed to the image of his son. This is happening. The Bible says you're born of God's Spirit, not of the will of man, but by the will of God. God wills it so. Therefore, it must be. God decrees it so, it will happen. God prays for you, the enemy cannot and will not sift you as wheat. Can't happen. I'm just letting that marinate for a little bit. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined. So all things work together for good. For those who are called. Now, here's the qualifications. All things work together for good. Now, number one, you got to be called of God. That means you got to be saved. If God calls you, you're saved. Okay, good, you're saved. You're in the kingdom. Who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? Everything will work together for your good if you are among those whom God has predetermined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. So Christ is the firstborn among many. And with the brothers, brothers, which includes females as well. And look at this, verse 30. For those whom he predestined, say he called. Those he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In each case... It doesn't, there's nothing in here about you doing anything. This is 100% the work of God. That's why God gets all the glory, all the praise. That's why they cast down their crowns and revelations. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power and wisdom and strength and might and blessing. Blessing, honor, glory and power and might be unto him who sits upon the throne. Because you have redeemed us. Do you understand that? You have redeemed us from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. God has done a remarkable thing. Not only has he redeemed us and called us, he has made it absolutely certain that you're going to get in. He shut the door on any, any chance of failure by his predetermined will. And you can't overcome the will of God. And in closing, what are the implications of such, a, of such a wonderful redemption? Notice how he ends it. He starts it with God, and he ends it with God. And throughout this whole chapter, God's at work. Now let's get to the, to the closing part. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Think about this, saints. And that's what I just said. If God is for us, who can be against us? Think about anything that can be against you. That's why no weapon formed against you will prosper. Because God is for you. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Wow. So God didn't spare his son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also graciously give you all things pertaining to salvation? He will give us all things graciously. So we have a gracious God. 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. The enemies accuses the brethren, but don't worry about it. It's God who justifies. Who's going to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Wait, whoa, what? Didn't we just say that? It's also in... Forgot, almost forgot about that part of it. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and Jesus is interceding for us. Wow. This is a little long podcast, but I have to do this. Next week, I'm going to try to be on Clubhouse, which is a platform where you can discuss various issues. And I'll have a co-host, uh, Ernest Bryant, and we'll have some guests and a whole lot of people speaking. So uh, I want to finish this, and this is part two. And I'm going to come back and do a part three on this because there's a part in here I want to go into a little bit more detail. And the part that I'll be looking at closer in part three will be uh, all things work together for good. Uh, and we'll do, I need to do some more explaining on that and give some examples out of the Old I want to give an example of that out of the Old Testament. So um, this will be the last segment. And so I know it's long. Thank you for your patience. I appreciate when you guys listen to this and, and, uh, and hang in there. And I, my prayer is that I'm saying some things that are actually helpful to you. So, Christ is the one who died more than one who raised from the dead and is the right hand of God who intercedes for us. Now look at verse 35. He asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he gives a list of things. Tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Danger? Sword? No. You go to prison? No. That will separate you from the love of God. As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Uh, out in the world, we're as harmless as those, but wise as serpents. So we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Are we? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. So a believer, if you're saved today, and you're listening to this podcast, you are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. Again, always, always, everything is in Christ through him who loved us. For I am sure, and I agree, I'm Paul and I are right here eye to eye on this. For I am sure, I am persuaded. Saints, that death, if I drop dead right now, I'm not separated from the love of God in Christ. I will be resurrected. Nor life. Whatever storm I'm going through in life right now, I may not like it. I don't like the rough ride, but it may be painful. Some physically physical pain, some some mental, spiritual pain. But it won't separate me from the love of God. No angels. There's no angels going to come down here and tell me I can't be with God. Never mind the stupid stuff you see on TV about Michael and Gabriel at war with God and all kind of foolishness. That's folklore. It's not Bible. No rulers. I don't care whether it's Donald Trump, Joe Biden, or Barack Obama, or Putin. No rulers, nor things present, all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, nor things to come, that, that won't do it, nor powers, no, there's no height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Saints, this is the beautiful thing about life in the Spirit. 
you have a full, deep assurance. I wish the saints of God would have peace. You know, I, 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 I bristle. The devil stole my joy. How is that possible? Jesus said, peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. He said, the peace I give you that cannot, cannot. What part of cannot, don't you understand, cannot be taken away. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, what we mean by God is an enemy's taking away my joy is that I'm upset or I'm not feeling happy at the moment. That's happiness. That's not joy. I'll explain to you in another podcast what joy is. But the joy and peace that God gives cannot, it is impossible to be stolen. Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth, but moth and rust does corrupt, and thieves break through and steal. The treasure that you have, the joy that you have, the peace that you have is connected to heaven, can't be taken. No, sir. Cannot be taken. Impossible. Stop it. Nothing can separate us, saints. And this is a full assurance. I wish we would get this full assurance and begin to have a relaxed, happy trust in Jesus. I'm not making a case for internal security or arguing for or against. All I'm simply saying, I'm trying to read the scripture and just says what it says in this moment right here is what it's saying. And it's there. If you couldn't save yourself, what makes you think you can keep yourself? Couldn't save myself, but now I got to keep myself. No, you can't do it. I know what you're thinking. Bible says you'll keep yourself in the love of God. I, I, I get all that. But again, we, those scriptures we can we can go over and we can discuss and I explain all that to you. But but you get what I'm saying. There should, regardless of what side of the fence you are on, if you are in Christ, if you're if you're if you're if you're living that spirit filled life, loss of salvation is not an issue. It's an impossibility. Can't happen. Because you're walking in the Spirit. And God is at work to get you there. And if you're not in the Spirit yet, God, I promise you, and you're saved, I promise you, God will get you there. There's no way God's going to leave your salvation up to your petty choices. Because usually we make the wrong choices almost every single time. That's not a license for sin, because there are consequences to sin. You'll be saved, but you will pay. You will pay. There are a lot of people behind bars. They save, but they're behind bars. You got to pay the piper. There are consequences, and the grace of God forgives, but the government of God rolls on. So stay strong, saints. This is not exhausting that entire chapter. I could have done that, but it would have taken too long. So this is part two, and there will be a part three, because I'm going to have to go back and I want to take a closer look at how all things work together for good because it's very important to us to understand this in context so that we get a better, fuller, and richer picture of what God is doing. So God bless you, and again, I'm just grateful for those of you who listen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this extended version of the Sword and the Spirit. And as I said, I'm hope, grateful that if you've been blessed and hopefully I've said some things that will help you in your walk with the Lord. And I'm deeply appreciative of those of you who take the time to listen. This is 
is a time of itching ears. People don't want to hear truth. But I'm glad that you don't have those itching ears. You take time out to listen to some things that will help grow you in the faith and in your walk with him. God bless you and thank you so much. And listen to my, some of my other podcasts or some of the other interviews. I've talked about them. Uh, Love Back to Life with Lael Divine. Uh, the young lady who got brought back from pregnancy and uh, restored her. And she has a workbook that goes along with it. So I want to highly recommend you listen to that podcast. It's called Love Back to Life. And the other one is Mars Hill Project. I interviewed Valley Lyason, missionary to the LGBTQ and to the Philippines. And also two great missionaries, Dave and Pam Lovett, and her book, Kickapoo to Katmandu. We'll also be doing some book reviews and adding some other things. And eventually, some co-hosts. Next week will be my first co-host, which will be uh, Ernest Bryant, man of God, loves the Lord. And uh, it's going to prove to be very interesting because I'll kind of be a little bit out of my element. And um, we'll see what happens. So God bless you, and again, thank you for listening. And, and again, I cannot express enough appreciation for those of, you, those of you who take time out, even when it's long like this. Uh, God bless you.